Welcome to Breakthrough, a podcast series where we meet the entrepreneurs and innovators behind now famous companies like Deliveroo, Farfetch, Mumsnet, and Bulb to reveal the stories behind their industry transforming businesses. Brought to you by Second Home, Index Ventures, and Sifted, these talks were recorded at Second Home Clerkenwell Green as part of our Breakthrough Fortnight in London. In this podcast, Justine Roberts, founder of the incredible Mumsnet, talks making hard decisions, how to keep the company culture, and why sometimes bootstrapping your business is the best decision. Mumsnet has been around for 19 years now. It was, you know, famously you've founded this or you came up with the idea in 2000 on a disastrous family holiday. 1999. 1999. And uh, so 20 years. So this is a business with real longevity. It's gone through, just to kind of set the scene for for a moment, but, you know, weathered the dot-com boom and bust, um, you know, has gone from strength to strength when many similar sites kind of bit the dust um, and has never taken until very recently any external money. So I think, I, I just think there's a lot of particularly interesting features about about this business, So, which I'm hoping that we'll kind of um, dig into a little bit. So, so welcome, Justine. <laughs> sort of. Um, so I, I kind of wanted to maybe start from that beginning bit, um, and because with this, these being the breakthrough sessions, and we're trying to kind of give people who are in the startup space a bit of, you know, uh, a sense of how you know how to do things, how, what not to do, lessons learned, and stuff. So I was wondering whether in the beginning, as you were kind of trying to raise money and failing too initially, and then deciding you were going to bootstrap it and all of those things. How, what was the point at which you felt that you knew it was going to work? Uh, well, I don't think it was very early. Um, so I think the, one of our problems was we were, we were way too early. So we, we, 1999, um, we were doing a kind of web 2.0 company and web 2.0 didn't really happen until Facebook and Twitter came. In the UK, that was you know, 2005 onwards. So we had six years of kind of w- people literally laughing at me. What what you think people are going to advertise on a site where their their brands can be talked about? You know, so um, so it was a lesson for me in um, you know you can have a good idea, but sometimes your timing can just be off. Um, and then really it's a question of whether you can hang in there until the timing is so right. So why did you hang in there? Because, you know, presumably after the nth meeting with potential investors where they said no, you, yes. you, you know, you must have got quite close to thinking, well, let's just leave it. Well, actually, initially the investors were quite keen because as you rightly point out, it was kind of the dot-com boom when we when we first went round. They weren't very keen on me. <laughs> so they were quite keen on the idea and someone said, we'll give you four and a half million but someone else has got to run it and that someone else actually by the way is a 25 year old man who has no children and so he was going to run mom's, mom's net um because he's my guy you know um and um yeah and and there was there was kind of a bit of you know flirting flirting with giving us money and then the crash happened so we probably would have raised money if the crash hadn't happened and we probably would have had completely the wrong model because I had projections for e 
that I think we may just about make next year. Um, on, and this was kind of year two or three. Um, so it was complete pie in the sky. So the, I suppose my point really is that sometimes um, businesses fail they've got the, because they've got the wrong funding. Um, actually, for us, the best thing that happened was that we didn't raise money. So what that meant was we had to bootstrap it. It wasn't a choice. And that was the right model for growing a community because growing a community takes time. Um, you can't buy eyeballs. You can't buy, buy trust. You can't buy all that stuff. Um, it has to be organic. So so we were, by definition, because it was from a back bedroom and we literally had no revenue, um, we ended up with the right model. Now, what kept me going, which was your original question, was I think quite early on it became quite useful. Um, so we we started a forum. So my tech guy said to me, the idea was not to have a forum, by the way. It was never on the plans. But he said, would you like a forum? And I said, how much does it cost? Uh, and he said, it's, I can get one for $50. <laughs> so I said, OK, fine. We'll have a forum. Um, and um, and it was mostly initially me talking to me under various pseudonyms. Um, <laughs> and that was, I had a lot of questions, you know, first time mum of twins. So that was lucky. I was very confused. Um, so that went on for quite a long time. And then a friend of mine rang up and said, I've got pregnancy palpitations. Um, what do I do? Do you know anything about this? And I did. And I said ruthlessly, I'm only going to answer you if you go on to the Mumsnet forums and us. So she went on and I rushed on to answer her and lo and behold, two people had answered. And then I thought, oh, wow, OK, this is interesting. And then quite soon after that, and this was sort of six months in, people were writing to me and saying, this is a lifesaver. I have literally, I can anonymously say... I, I hate my child <laughs> um, and no one's judging me and there are other people too who hate their child and this is great. <laughs> so so this was really the first pivot. Um, it wasn't meant to be a forum site at all well, in the beginning. True. No, it was originally it was kind of TripAdvisor for parents. That was the idea. So it, the idea came from a, a really disastrous family holiday, the first one we'd ever taken. Um, which was the wrong resort, the wrong destination, the wrong time zone, the wrong children. Um, <laughs> and, and it was completely disastrous. And, and so um, I thought, well, it would be good to tap into people who'd been there and done that. So it was kind of TripAdvisor. And it's not just holidays. There are all these other things as a parent you're just not trained to do, right? So... It was, you know, how do you deal with your mother-in-law? What about um, the person who touches your bump and, you know... Yeah, yeah, so, so, so many but, but I'm intrigued by that because I think, you know, so when you notice that the forum was the bit that was really hooking people in, mm. I mean, how quickly did that then become the sort of the main, not the kind of, oh, yes, well, we can buy it in for 50 quid, we might as well have one yes. tacked and become the main focus. And is it because I think sometimes founders are a little bit, you know, loath to give up their first initial great yes. brilliant idea? Um, I suppose it was, A, it was obvious and B, um, we didn't have any money to develop anything else. So so the great thing about user-generated content, right, is someone else is generating the content and it's cheap. Um, so what um, what we devoted our time to, and, and I'm not saying it was free because no one, you know, there were two or three people working for no money. So we were investing 
We were investing in the community and, and moderating that forum and, and nurturing the community and all that kind of stuff. So um, it was, um, yeah, it was kind of, it was, it was obviously useful. And that was the key element that made me think, even though I cannot see for the life of me how we're ever going to make a buck out of this, <laughs> it, it became a sort of project of love, really, because people were genuinely being helped. And I did think... It will ultimately anything this useful has to has to kind of be something you can make some money out. Yeah. But I mean, just to put it into context for everyone here, that it was six years with no revenue. It was, which I think it was is, six years with very little. Yeah. It, put it like this: no one earned anything that the taxman was bothered about. Yeah. So I, 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 that, that, again, that's just something to put out there to other people who are maybe in the in the early stages and and, and trying to churn through that this this was a real labor of love and i even read that you had some of the users were sending you sort of donations to yes. keep you going so so we'd occasionally do npr style sort of begging letters saying you know we've got to pay the servers and and sometimes you know people would i would open the post and there would be checks for 250 quid from the users so that was helpful wow so what was the turning point to then starting to make money so one we got scale um, that was important because we were we were pursuing a model which required scale. It was an ad business. Um, but I think more importantly was the arrival of Facebook and then Twitter and brands who were our, ultimately our customers beginning to think about um, the idea that they could engage with, with people and not just broadcast at people. Um, so they had to get comfortable with that. So, you know, people, P&G, for instance, even now, probably a little bit nervous in the, wherever they are, I think in Holland or somewhere, wherever they are, um, maybe Weybridge. Um, they, they're, <laughs> they're very worried about the idea that someone can discuss, you know, their marketing, their, their, their product, the, you know, and they, what, well, how do we answer this? I mean, there was an example of Dove the other day, they did something silly and it took three days to get to central office and back the answer. But in those days, it was just, it was unthinkable that real people could discuss your product. So it took Facebook, Twitter, and then some brave brands to say, actually, this is the way forward. This is what true marketing is about it's it should be a conversation not a broadcast and and when you had those first initial brave few that decided they were going to take the risk how were you quickly able to show them that it, w it was working and did it kind of prove itself almost yes as long as they were at genuinely engaging so this goes for politicians too actually you, you know it really works if you're prepared to there's always an, there's always the odd person who is never going to like your product and what I always tell people is you're never talking to that one person, you're talking to the rest of the world. So if you're reasonable and, and sensible, don't take that criticism as something, you know, oh my God, someone's criticised us, we're going to leave now and never advertise again, <laughs> never do this again. You have, to, you have to basically talk to the rest of the world. So, yeah. And most, to be fair, most brands have got that. Now. And they mostly have a, a, a good experience despite yes. the... They have an amazing experience because what you get is real advocates. And they love, I mean, our users love people engaging with them. I mean, they love being listened to. Uh, you know, yeah. as you know, if you're a mum, sometimes people patronise you. So the idea that people ask your opinion is good. Well, I love the fact that you grill all the politicians now. Yeah. I mean, that's become, you know, I, I, I feel that that's, that's so empowering really for for women who often get, you know, talked at in any yes. kind of political process. And yeah. 
and we still get when when that happens and we you know have web chats all the time um but it's often written up in the media as you know surprisingly the mums asked quite intelligent questions (laughs) anyway i should stop ranting oh yeah let's hope (laughs) maybe one day that won't be the the headline um but one thing I was wondering about was you mentioned, you know, Facebook and, and Twitter kind of uh, proved the business model. But at the same time, they must have been a threat. I mean, how did you manage to make the business kind of defensible against the American giants who, frankly, have eaten a lot of other people's yeah. lunch um, and could yeah. have done yours? There's no reason why we couldn't have a, a big American mum's site now ruling everything. Yes, except that. Um, the one thing Mumsnet has is anonymity, and anonymity allows truth, I think. Um, Facebook's model is based on capturing everything about you uh, and selling it. So they really hate anonymity, and they've written extensively about how it should be banned, and this is the problem, causes trolls and all the rest of it. But really what it is is it causes them not to be able to collect your data. So we were actually a different business because what you can do on Mumsnet is you can you can – um, ask questions which are very honest and you will get very honest answers from people um, and that can't happen really if you think about your Facebook group because you you can't really say I really hate my best friend or she's done something really stupid Do, is this right when your friend's in your Facebook group you know? <laughs> and so that was a, that yeah so you you quite early on decided that the anonymity was was well, important you know well I don't think I ever made that decision consciously okay <laughs> it just happened yeah. and we had this thing called a nickname yeah um, had we called it a username interestingly people may have put their real name yeah but we just called it a nickname maybe that was how it came you yeah. know and tell me a little bit about the moderation side, though, because, I mean, with great honesty comes, you know, great risk. And um, and I think some of the – I mean, Mumsnet has this really no-holds-barred feel to it. And I think um, – I mean, there's some really memorable threads. I don't know if you remember from a few years back that the, the penis speaker thread, which I honestly thought – I was going to laugh so hard I couldn't breathe. Um, and it, it told me, it opened my eyes to a whole range of things about other people's sexuality that I had never <laughs> realised. Um, it, but it was, very, it, was, it was very not safe for work. Um, and I, it, I just wonder, how do you kind of draw the line? Is there a line? How do you sort of make sure it doesn't veer into things that are then, uh, you know, too offensive or, you know, the troll problem and, yes. and, and all of these well, things. We, so we've always invested in moderation. So uh, I remember when I reported something to Twitter, I think it was three years ago, they responded within a week. So I reported some, I don't know what it was, someone calling me something, probably a, I don't know. Anyway, it was too rude. Um, and it took them a week to respond. And we've always invested in a paid community team. We don't see it really just as moderation. It is, it's about nurturing a community where we want diverse opinion. We, you know, we believe diverse opinion keeps a community healthy. Um, and we want it to be reasonably civil. And yes, Mumsdet is painfully honest. Um, and it's quite adult so we have a we actually have a sex forum we we absolutely say it's for adults not kids um it's kind of no holes barred on the personal stuff but it's but we ask people to be civil to each other so that's what we invest in and uh, i think it's different from the pla- we don't say we're a dumb pipe mm-hmm. we're not a dumb platform where anything goes but what goes is is 
it's almost our values and our philosophy. So is there sort of guidelines that you, you um, yeah. give to the, I mean, is there a kind of um, guiding thread of this is, you know, what the moderation yes. has to be about? So no personal attacks, nothing that breaks the law. And in the end, we're here to make parents' lives easier. And if we think this discussion is not doing that or yeah. this this business partner is not doing that or this yeah. format is not doing it, then we will we will not do it. And and how easy is it to stay on the right side of the law? Because, they, I mean, there have been a few cases. I mean, early on there was the sort of the Gina Ford row and yes. then recently well, there's... Yeah. I mean, we've been sued a lot and we are sued, you know, we have legal letters all the time, mostly from private schools, it seems to be the, <laughs> the major kind of litig- litigious problem at the moment. Um, uh, and of course, Gina Ford, who was a big parenting guru, who and that was a case where she just didn't really understand the internet. She thought that we were everything that was written was us publishing it. Um, but um, but I mean, I don't mind being sued. I think to being sued. I mean, that's actually if you were to ask me, you know, what was one of the milestones to growth? It was being sued by Gina Ford you know we it made us famous Um, (laughs) so I don't I actually often say somewhat flippantly if you want to get famous get sued Um, as long as for me the court that matters is really the court of public opinion Mm -hmm. as long as you've got a good case and a good argument um, and we did then I bring it on but wasn't it hugely frightening though at first I mean I'm thinking you're a very small team there's no revenues coming yes. in or barely any and you're getting sued by you know world-renowned childcare guru Gina Ford it's not a comfortable position to be no. in I mean it was stressful because we've got loads of legal letters but we had almost every top libel lawyer in the country wanted to represent us for free because this was the core celebra for freedom of speech on the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, what the main problem was, I became incredibly dull um, because it was all I could talk about. So literally my friend's eyes would just glaze over. It's a bit like someone going through a really bad divorce. They literally can't talk about anything else. So in the end, we had to settle. <laughs> and so have you become quite used to dealing with these now is there almost like a sort of I don't don't suppose it ever becomes routine but there's a kind of playbook of okay here we go for for that kind of legal threat I mean actually we've got the um, I say we a coalition of people have got the the laws changed so there is now a new defamation act it recognizes that the internet is not the same as a newspaper um, and we have a procedure that we can follow where someone who writes something on mum's net has the choice to stick by the words or we take it down, but we're not necessarily always liable. So that's good. Um, I want to also ask about sort of keeping, uh, you know, keeping relevant and keeping keeping up to date because any 20-year-old business is, is you know, uh, you know, a lot of new things have happened in, in, in all that time. I mean, the whole Instagram generation, um, you know, accesses information in a different way. So how, how do you make sure that you stay relevant for every new generation of mums? Well, it's a challenge. I mean, it's one of our core challenges is to make sure the product is what um, the Instagram generation would want. So, um, and that's a work in progress, you know, whatever platform it's wanted on, whether it's, you know, Alexa or, um, you know, via Instagram. So it's a product challenge. In terms of the content, you know, we have lots of young people who use Mumsnet. So the content yeah. is is kept up to date. 
I mean, there are things that if you if we were to analyse it, there are there are subjects that you know in back in my day when I was talking to myself, I would not have asked myself. It would not have been in the <laughs> list of stuff. Um, but, um, but yeah, I suppose it's just those new new ways of reaching the audience. I'm, I'm just curious as to how you almost do it internally in the in the company. Whether there's a a small group of people who are off and you know we'll go and experiment, see what we can do. You know, can we apply it to uh, you know, Instagram, can we apply it to Alexa? Do you, do you give them, you know, is it, or is it that everybody's looking at those or you have an innovation team? No, we don't, we definitely don't have an innovation. I mean, the idea is that everyone should be innovative. Um, I, I mean, my rule of thumb is that you should spend approximately 10% of everyone's time on complete blue sky. Um, and that's kind of a good, so, you know, there's core and then there's new and then there's complete mad stuff and um and and that's kind of you know across the company um in terms of you know we've got now well our biggest one of our biggest challenges is we we're old right so we're not being able to develop like a startup is our key goal because we've got a legacy platform and all that and and it's huge so actually you know, all startups should realise what a huge advantage they have compared to incumbents because they can just focus on their thing and they, they can have the very latest technology and they can they don't have all this legacy and all this scale to mm. worry about. But for me, you know, we have three core goals um, that we're addressing over on our three-year plan. And one is that at the end of three years, we can develop as fast and as agilely as a startup. How how we do that is a range of things, and some of it will involve squads and, and innovation teams and stuff like that. But. Okay, and and is the technology as you kind of alluded to it that's becoming almost a sort of a hindrance at the moment, or you know, do you you have to sort of move I platforms? Think, and- I think you just have to keep, keep reimagining it. I mean, I, the one of the big mistakes I made, and I was scarred, I think, by the whole dot-com crash so when the dot-com crash happened I just saw business after business after business fail um, and then come sort of 2007 it really was our time right and at that stage I think I should have gone a lot quicker and and even now um, I think the thing that made us go a lot quicker in terms of tech was being absolutely brutally hacked um, by you know um, a sort of uh, a really concerted attempt by people from sort of 4chan types in basements to on multiple levels but um, but you know you that made that was one thing and penis speaker was the other actually because penis speaker <laughs> went viral around the world and it basically broke mum's net so just for those of you who don't know what penis speaker is, yeah maybe we should explain yeah i think so we are- mums that posted um my husband does this as his post-coital routine does anyone else have the same and it was a beaker by the side of the bed that he cleaned himself up after sex and then there were literally a thousand posts saying no <laughs> no, never done that. No, but but, no. but also written in the most yeah. comical way yeah. uh, that you've yeah. ever imagined. This uh, was yeah. yes, it was. And and so I was watching this thread sort of go viral around the world. So we would, you know, I would get up in the morning and I would see, oh my god, it's hit. 
you know, Eastern Europe and 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 and, our, and we tripled our traffic daily for about two weeks and the site broke. Um, and so that was what a big wake up call about tech. <laughs> yeah. So what, after that. that, you just had to go and buy a whole bunch of, you know, new servers and, yeah. and overhaul the yeah. software. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I suppose it's about being prepared for success. Um, and your tech always has to be, uh, you know, it's no good thinking, well, we're going to, we're on this plan and in a year's time, we're going to have 25% more. You have to imagine takeoff. Mm-hmm. And and did it really change things success-wise as well? I mean, if you have a viral hit like that, did it kind of change the game in terms of, you know, anything else like advertising or, you know? No, funnily enough, people weren't interested, particularly because of this thread called penis speakers. <laughs> we didn't get PNG saying, oh, um, no. It, I'll tell you what, it's the gift that keeps giving. People just say, every now and then I see, oh, Australia, I've discovered penis speakers. It's still going. Wow. Oh, yeah. My word. But I just, I mean, it must have, but the spike in, in user numbers, I, I'm, and I'm, you know, if anybody else has a sort of startup here that yeah. is kind of getting this kind of viral hit, I, I'm just wondering how lasting that is. Or I don't whether think it's that viral. I was looking the other day at um, ITV's website, Traffic, and I mean, it's extraordinary that, you know, there are three or two months in the year where Love Island happens, and it literally goes like, that. And they don't retain any of it. It's a yeah. poor old OTV, sorry. Okay. So maybe it's, it, it, you know, it feels like to me like the message is that the, the, the kind of the long, slow burn think, was the more important thing. I think thing. you've got to understand what, you know, what your purpose is. For us, it's to make parents' lives easier. Um, we we want to provide things that are truly useful. Um, Peter Speaker was fun, but it was. It was much more, you know, it was entertainment. Yeah. So what about plans now? Um, Because, you know, after this kind of many, many years of just bootstrapping and growing in your own and and can I just say, you know, the I mean, Mumsnet has quite a good profit margin now. I mean, you you, you know, what was it? I think you were saying it was like 30 something percent. I mean, so this is a real business, a solid business that isn't going to be knocked out. Um, and my question to you when we were talking upstairs was, why do you not have, you know, private equity companies crawling all over you, asking mm. you to now kind of go out and, and, and conquer the world? Um, well, we, we kind of do. I mean, there have been a lot of private equity firms um, who've been very ingratiating over the years. Um, but I, so the real question is, why have we never taken that kind of investment. Um, so one of the answers to that is we generate cash, so we don't necessarily need to. The other is, I guess, ambition. Well, I don't necessarily want to be a unicorn. I, you know, so we have got some investors, so hopefully they're not in the room. <laughs> but it's not necessarily the thing that drives me most. But the main point, I think, is um, alignment of timing. So I think private equity, you know, we all know what they want to do. They want to triple their money in, in four years. Um, and that's every single metric and every single input they have will be about getting to that. And then they want an exit. And then you're, you know, you've got a certain amount of loss of control then about what happens next. So for me, um, Mumstead is a purposeful business. I think six years of not making any money. And our users sending us checks have made me realise this is a collaboration um, and there are multiple stakeholders and the owners are only one of those stakeholders. Um, And what I don't want to do is to be in a position where we have to chase metrics that are not 
good for the long-term health of that community. And do you think you would then inevitably be forced to, to, to maybe sell out, as, as people call it? Or, or to partner with someone else who oh. had little control over. I mean, there are various things you can do, but essentially it comes down to do I want to make my life more uncomfortable or not? Mm. <laughs> so what do you want to do with it? I mean, you know, do you've, you've launched GrandsNet, which is a sort of seems like a, actually a logical uh, extension of that. But are, are there more kind of other offshoots? I mean, what 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 do you ultimately want to to do? Um, what we want to make we want to make parents' lives easier. We want to make great solutions. We want to be a um, a company that can develop like a startup. We're in an amazing position because we have um, reach and we have trust. So we ought to be able to develop amazing solutions that solve people's problems. And ideally, we make a buck out of that as well. So you know, I. My motivation now is I think mum says, you know, it's 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 a brand. It's got a large following. We have 10 million people a month. Who, but actually in business terms, you are very sweet about profit margins, but it's quite small. And I suppose from a kind of purely feminine, 80% of our, our team are women. You know, I still get a bit patronised by these investors. I'd quite like to actually prove some of them wrong and make a big business as well. Okay, so just so grow it a lot. Grow it from- by grow it with in a purposeful way, yeah. Yeah, and speaking of purpose, I mean, you've gone very heavily into the the political side. Um, I mean, the two thousand and ten election. I remember that was the one that was dubbed the the, the mum's net um, election because everyone of the candidates was grilled um, mostly about their choice of well, no. mostly about politics, but there was always the biscuit <laughs> question. Um, I don't know why the biscuit question even evolved, but that was always so, a feature. So I'll tell you it. why. Should I tell you why? Because um, so Gordon Brown came on to Mumsnet and he was not a broad, he was not an engager, he was a broadcaster. So he came on and he was obsessed about talking about child tax credits. He said, I must tell them about my policy on child tax credits. <laughs> and he basically went into broadcast mode. So he just had these snippets and he just, and, and the mum sort of, when someone, frivolously asked what his favourite biscuit. He just ignored it. So he would just like, someone would say, what's your favourite biscuit? And he would say, have I told you about child tax credits in Rome? Um, or oh, well, we've got a very good policy on Trident. And so it became a joke, really. Yeah. And they okay. just kept asking and asking yeah. and asking. What's and he never did biscuit? tell. No, but he sent me, he did 24 hours later, yeah. write back and say, it's chocolate chip cookies. And he sent me some. Right. So then the joke was, it's taken him 24 hours to work out What's what the right thing to say? Yeah, but but it is, by the way, a Kit Kat. I know that from inside. But he didn't um, want to say that because he thought that might be taken the wrong way. Yeah, Nestle. But I mean, all frivolity <laughs> aside, though, I mean, you you have gone very seriously into the campaigning side, um, and at the moment, it's about um, sort of childcare leave policies. I yeah, think, uh, patern- the- we, we want people to publish their parental leave policies mm-hmm. along with the gender pay gap too. Yeah encourage well because they don't publish them so no one knows you go and apply for a job and you can't ask because you're in the middle of an interview and it suggests you might want to have a baby and that then people are discriminated against but and 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 but you are and obviously you you have a big voice um i mean a lot of people do come to you know canvas you to see you know what would mums net think about this but how easily do you think does does the the politics and the business kind of mix and do you think there is a risk that if you become a really strongly campaigning uh, organisation, it, it, it takes away from the in- original purpose. So I think well, we, we have some kind of parameters about what we'll campaign on. 
and um, for one, they can't be particularly um, polarised, they can't be politically divisive. So we, for instance, haven't taken a position on Brexit because when we canvassed our users, we realised that, you know, it's it's actually broken down about a third, two thirds. So, you, you know, we have to have a clear majority on issues because we're not, we don't want to be the mum's website for Remainers or the mums of website for Brexiteers or of the left or of the right. So we're for all mums. So that's one clear thing. The other is we don't sit down at the beginning of the year and think what well, we're going to campaign on. It comes out of what the discussions are on the board. It's very user-led. Mm-hmm. So we'll campaign on things where we see kind of dysfunctionality, <laughs> anger, um, unfairness. And do you put it to the users then that, you know, would you like us to campaign on this yes. before you start? And and actually they'll often put it to us, please okay. can we do a campaign on this and here's what we should do. Yeah. You know. And and you, are you finding traction with the, the, the latest one? The, the yes, I, you know, I think, well, I'm hoping leave. Father's Day we might get an announcement. Hoping. Ooh, you heard it here first. <laughs> well, that would be good. It would um, be. Yeah, it's, it is kind of that unanswered question um yes uh, or you know the question you want to ask but you don't you can't um okay so so presumably that will continue um what the other sort of general question i had is 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 what's hard at the moment um we were talking a little bit about hiring and you were saying that this was something it's always hard obviously for every tech company um but maybe especially so at the moment yeah i mean for me going from a startup, you know, where where you're, you know, across everything, to trying to be someone who who runs a team of 120. That, to be honest, that's quite a hard journey, and I think a lot of founders have to have quite a strong. I certainly had to have a a big talk with myself about, am I capable of actually being a different kind of leader, and not having a finger in every pie and growing and developing people and. And I had to do quite a lot of reading and quite a lot of, you know, um, self-examination. What was the best way for you to actually learn how to be that different mode? I think for me, I went on a couple of courses which were about scaling up um, and I read a lot of books. And I also kind of, you know, had, had people who I invited them to give me some honest feedback, which was hard, but very very valuable these are people in the business some yeah so id 360s and stuff like that and um and and it was a it was a recognition that actually not you there's no shame in it it just may not be something you're a good at but more not inclined to do you know if you're the sort of person who is is has founded something you may be the sort of person who always wants to found something that always wants to just run with the idea be across everything have all the energy and are not um my job now is as much about communication as it is about doing things so and i quite like getting into the nitty-gritty of the product so that's hard for me but i you know i recognize that actually really it's people and communication is is the main part of my job now a bit of strategy um so so yeah I had to decide I had to decide a can I do it and b do I want to do it and I took a decision probably two years ago where I decided actually yes I do want to do it maybe three years and I've got to learn it and I've got to be humble and I've got to invite feedback and I've got to understand that this doesn't naturally 
it's maybe not natural for me and I have to actually go and educate them. And, and so you're now, what was it, 120? 120, yeah. So what's the point at which you think that that transition has to happen? Because I think that's another interesting yeah. one for early stage. I think stratus. 50 is quite crucial. I think, you know, at 50 people, you kind of, you're in a room, you can kind of, people pick things up by osmosis. And the moment for me when I realised this was um, a really very good, um, smart, um, member of our team tweeted something that was I thought such a such sort of in such conflict to what I thought mum's net values were and I just couldn't understand how this had happened I realized well this is me you know I haven't communicated this she's really smart so I'll tell you what it was she she tweeted it's very inoffensive but for me I you know almost fell off my chair and wailed um she, she, it was um, Mylene Class. Do you know her, the sort of minor celeb who does piano and looks beautiful? Um, she tweeted a thing about, um, oh, I, you know, the p- fucking parent, she probably didn't swear, sodding parents asking for money for this gift. And it was retweeted by one of my team saying, hats off for my, to Mylene Class for telling parents like it is. <laughs> and we're so, we, we're always on the side of, Real people, not celebs. That's kind of one of our core, core things. This is mum said it's real. Um, it's the, you know, we're not interested in celebs and the way they live their life. It's about actually real people who are dealing with real problems. So I realised that, OK, I've got to do something differently now. And I have to work really hard on defining the values, talking about them endlessly. Apparently you have to, it's at least, you know, four times before people actually get them. Um, and you know then you get the whole okay what's the vision what's the mission what's the values what's the brand promises and all that kind of stuff and I spend a lot of time doing that now. And is there a kind of mum's net culture that you I mean obviously there's the mission and the vision but I'm just thinking about more of the culture in in the office and the you know that sort of thing that we always talk about as being the 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 way to really get startups to gel and for all the teams to work effectively. Well I think there isn't one culture so we have a culture deck. We've kind of stole that idea from Netflix where you define what your culture is. And we, we use it to send people, um, we use it in recruitment because there are, it's as much about not wanting some people who are not going to fit in your culture as it is about encouraging people who are. Um, but that culture very strongly reflects my values. And so we have things like, you know, um, uh, you know, leanness being one. We, you know, we don't have, we we don't have, we don't buy on expense accounts. You know, it's just because I'm mean, right? That's me. Um, I don't like wasting money. Um, but other things like we, we're very, very honest. We'd rather have a hole than an asshole. Um, that um, you know, we don't do we don't do individual bonuses here. If you're someone who requires individual praise, then just don't come. It's not the right place for you. There's no there's no benefits basically we pay you a salary you choose how to do it that's kind of what I believe in so we define everything um and but I don't think there's one Mm -hmm. I think there is the culture is what the culture is and and then you've got to find people who are happy with it and thrive in it and it's a majority female office and team it's 80% 80% did you think that makes a difference I mean you've worked in your early days worked in in finance right so a very male environment I mean how different is it do you feel there's a different vibe I think so I mean there's a member of my team at the back you've yeah. think different but I think it's quite it's 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 genuinely 
nice, possibly too nice. <laughs> well, I'd actually, and, and the team member, incidentally, is a guy. So, yes. it, you know, catch him afterwards and see, you know, ask about uh, what it's like to be in a kind of female-dominated uh, office space and see if there's any, I, I don't know. I mean, it, you know. He's very beta. And, 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 and hopefully it's not the flip side where it's, you know, oppressive to, to whoever is in the minority, right? So Yeah, well, I, it probably is quite hard to... I mean, I'm, I think the guys at Mumstead are amazing and because they've basically chosen to work for a female-led organisation with a lot of females in the senior team and the audience is female and they're kind of quite often quite angry with men. Um, so, yeah, it probably is quite hard, but uh, and listen, it's not that bad. Well, what a fantastic insight. Um, I, I kind of want to open it out to the um, to, to the room here because I, I feel like I've been having all the fun. So, it, you know, I'm sure we've got lots of questions. Um, there's a mic going around. So, yeah, let me know, you know. Okay. Um, I'm Louise Felstead, um, CEO of Malonsford Group. I'm just launching, um, I'm on the next accelerator, NatWest Accelerator at the moment. And I'm in the midst of entrepreneurs. What advice would you give to female entrepreneurs today? Um, I am enthused and here because you've done what you've done and I'm, I'm really inspired by your work. So thank you. But what advice would you give us today? Um, well, thank you. That's very nice for you. Um, I think the, the key, I mean, when I think back from my own experience, the, the key to success is knowing your USP and being really, really driven um, to not let that, it's resilience really, in a nutshell. I think it is about basically, if you're sure you've got a good idea and it's unique, then you have to basically hang on in there and keep going and keep going because it will come right in the end. Yep. Uh, yeah. So thank you for sharing so much so far. Um, you touched on kind of the 10% blue sky thinking mantra that I imagine you brought later on after starting the company. What of those kind of mantras or ideologies do you wish you had from day one that you'd apply to a small team? In terms of innovation or just generally? Just generally. Just generally. Um, I think I would have been much more ruthless about um, metrics you know, literally trying to understand and pivot very, very quickly about what works. I think the problem, there's a kind of idea that you slap a load of things at the wall and and one of them will stick. Well, actually, I don't think you need to slap a load of things at the wall. You need to slap maybe two and then pick the one and move to that. And So focus really would be the key thing that I think I would do differently. I'd probably also think about I'd think a lot more carefully about equity. I mean, in those early days, I was just anyone who would do anything. I would say, have some shares. <laughs> if it's free, you have some, they're worthless. Um, so that was a mistake. Um, I would think a lot more about the legals. I would basically imagine that this thing was going to be a success. I think you have to put yourself into the mindset of this is going to be a successful business. So I really ought to have a trademark. And I really ought to have a shareholders agreement and I really ought not to give all my equity away. So, yeah, that's my, well, you know, my learnings with that. Um, and then real focus and really, really ruthless analysing about are we actually, because you kind of have a view, well, you know, you spend some time doing that and spend some time doing that. But actually all that time is wasted time. If, you, if you're not looking at it, seeing whether it works and moving, putting every effort into the thing that is. 
Um, well, I think we truly are out of time. Okay, we've got a really small question, but and I think... <laughs> I know the answer to that. It's a rich tea finger, which is really weird. If a politician answered that, I think you're really odd. But. <laughs> okay, well, on that note, and that is a good note to finish on, so thank you so much, Justine Roberts, for sharing everything in a no-holds-barred, truly mums-net fashion. So... Breakthrough is Creative Workspace Second Home's year-round educational program designed to help members make their dent in the universe. If you enjoyed this talk, check out what else is coming up at secondhome.io or follow us at at secondhome underscore io. Second Home, a workspace as creative as you are.